Theology. Theology. Unplugged. Epistemology. Um, a big word, guys, that we're going to be talking about. And we're just going to be talking about the word, not the concept. We're going to study the history of the word, e epistemology. Yeah, wait a minute. Country of origin, please. Done, you'll be able to be able to spell it, which I can't and, do. And yeah. use it in a sentence. And, and if you're you spelling go. it and you hear ding, that doesn't mean you got it right. And spelling <laughs> be that means it's wrong, doesn't it? We, yes. We've kind of set this up a little bit uh, from our previous podcast by talking about the importance of epistemology. We have yet to d discuss what that is or why it's so important. But um, I, I dare I say this. That have, we've got credo courses, right? And credo courses have got, I don't know how many courses we have, but lots and lots of courses. Right. The thing that I tell just about everybody, because I see this need even among Christians, non-Christians, everybody, I say, go through Intro to Theology. They say, why? That's just intro. I've, I've been studying theology for a long time. I'm like, yes, I'm not questioning uh, your, your, where you're at. I'm not questioning right now whether or not you got the right beliefs but you could have all the right beliefs for all the wrong reasons. And I think that that's a way to describe epistemology, um, the reason for the what we're doing. Now, you teach epistemology. That's that's one of your classes that you teach, or at least in your philosophy classes, you teach epistemology. What is, what is the general response, and, and why do you say that it's important? And what I mean by response is, do, do they like epistemology? Because I, I have found that people just find it refreshing. Nobody likes the word epistemology, but everybody likes, well, I say everybody. Most people like the topic. Yeah. Only once they learn what it is. Because once they learn what it is, they, they realize this is really important. And I've always thought about these things before. And I didn't know that this is what I was thinking about. Yeah. I've always, um, first of all, I've always been, if you will, doing it. Because I've always been considering well, what is think. true. Yeah. Why do I believe certain things? How do how do I get knowledge? How can I say something? How do we? How do I know? know a thing? Right. What's the difference in when I'm judging or or comparing different beliefs? Some of them are true. Some false. Some more true than others. You know? Do I trust yeah. my feelings? Yeah. Um, is is scientific knowledge more certain than uh, personal knowledge or experience? I mean, people have always asked these kinds of things. And so once you talk about what it is, everyone thinks, oh yeah, this is important and it's interesting. And we started talking about it, of course, because we were talking about this new way of thinking today where a lot of people no longer engage in traditional ways of getting at what's true. They now, they don't, so, which is to say, arguments don't matter to people yeah. as much. Backing, you know, making making a case or a claim that all people think that those traditional ways of debating issues in society are somehow tied to Western thinking, or somehow they're tied to white thinking, or somehow they're tied to power, so that we don't do them anymore. Yeah, the patriarchy, colonialism, yeah. all of that 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 it's oppressive. Yeah, so, and so, they won't I mean, even hear it. They, well, sometimes right. they might say, I, I think we mentioned in that case of that college, um, the, ever, the Evergreen, the Evergreen yeah. College, how the students revolted and they were having this difficulty and they had demands and they wanted people to, to see it their way. And one of the faculty who was, a, who was very much a liberal, the students had these demands and they wanted everyone to agree with them. They wanted everyone to see what a terrible racist society it is and, and all these things. And one of the professors who was a liberal, definite liberal, 
who thought they were kind of going too far. And he did, he thought they're not thinking this through very well, so he wanted to try to engage them. And this was apparently a mistake. But the most telling thing in it was when they were yelling at him and telling him all their problems they have, and they were hitting him with all these questions from all different sides about, why do you think this, and why not, what about that, and, and so on. And, and finally he says to that crowd, okay, I hear what you're saying. Can I have a few... Would you give me a couple of minutes to, would you like me to answer your questions and tell you what I think about this? And so many of the people in that group said to him, no. In other words, we're not even interested in what you, you know, you, the old white guy, want to do this thing called debate, or you want to do this thing where you give an answer, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're just We don't want any of that. We don't want any of that. He even asked them to give them examples, and he was essentially told that because he's asking for those examples, he, yeah, he's right. being a racist. So here's what's going on. is Essentially, everybody's got this destination, but they don't want to tell you how they got there or why they're at that destination. They would just want you to airdrop there. You know, I mean, right. it's like, hey, be here. Don't don't ask any questions. It's, it's not a use of the mind. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe the end itself doesn't even, it justifies itself. It's not the end justifies the means here. It's the end justifies the end. Well, it's almost might is right. I mean, there's a lot wrapped up into that. And also, they are using some sort of epistemology. And I guess ultimately that's what kind of prompted this. Like, we didn't arrive at Evergreen in a vacuum. Uh, We have a couple of hundred years of, of, well, I mean, really, you can go all the, this isn't new stuff, by the way. Plato dealt with this stuff. So it's a few millennia that you could say we've dealt with this. But in terms of where we're at now, um, really, uh, the Enlightenment and just before is kind of what set us on this path. And so that's why we kind of decided well, so, to do a, a podcast on the history well, some people, of people, uh, You know, just in your daily life, they may do this to you. You know, you're, you're talking to them and you're trying to explain your position and you're taking a pathway and you're telling them every step you take and why you take it. And then suddenly they stop and they say, hey, listen, I don't understand anything you're saying. You're steamrolling me. And, and maybe, is, is this the idea that they're having? It's not so much that they, they don't want any method or any process. It's that they don't trust anybody with this process because it can be manipulated. And then you can steamroll all over me. And so basically, it's that's the reason why I don't like it is because um, I, I can't, I, it may not be able to be followed. You can, you can. Well, I mean, it could be that they don't have answers for the questions that you ask, and they don't like that because they feel attacked. It could be, but I'm just trying to get in there. I've got to understand where they're coming from because to say, I'm just going to come at something completely irrationally, and I think that's okay. Well, they, they're coming from it from essentially it's a post-postmodern construct. There Even is something to what you you're know, saying. I mean, there is part of it that's that, I think. I've had that experience a hundred times. This part, it, Individually speaking, there's always some element of that. If if someone feels like you're hitting me with too much right now, and especially if I don't have any training in this, and I don't think the way you think. It can be intimidating. They'll feel I like, I don't doubt, yeah. don't hit me with all your logical mumbo jumbo. Exactly. And, yeah. and yeah. some people, some some people, God bless them, who are great um, at knowing why, why they believe things, they will steamroll. They don't miss, maybe even mean to. It's just all the answers come out. And of course, we all have to learn not to overdo that because yeah. you get nowhere. But but there's more to it, though, I think. there. What we're saying is there's now a trend. There's now a cultural movement that says, in principle, your use of logic, and you're saying, oh, I'm going to give you 
these arguments that have reasons and conclusions and, and so data on and all that evidence. stuff yeah that's yeah i understand there there's there, i understand we all can come up with our data and blah blah and so on and they're suspicious of that yeah well, let me, let me but, you, but the thing is what about my experience kind of real, world, real world illustration that i went through especially when i was doing the drug abuse taking all the pain pills and in my mind i was creating pathways to get to a justification of this sure. right and whenever I talked to my wife, um, here we go, God bless her, <laughs> she, she, she knew the end. She knew that I was abusing drugs, and she knew that it needed to stop. Those two conclusions were as clear as day. However, whenever I would begin to go on this path and say, well, listen, let's look this up, and let me show you how my you, medical you were a sophist are this. Yeah, and I'm just pushing, and, and in the end, she comes up and she says, Michael, I can't do this. I can't follow you. You can argue that the sun is black, and it will be black. You're a better arguer than I am, but all what I know is that you're abusing these drugs, and and you got to cease. Understandable. <clears throat> totally understandable. So it, it, that's kind of what we're talking about. No, you were using the tools of debate to you were abusing them in a way, in a yeah. sense. To we're, we're all we're all rationalizers. Rationalism is using the tools at your disposal to get to the to place you really just want to. Yeah. Because you, know, you like I wasn't, it. I wasn't well, manipulating in the sense of me thinking in my mind, I got to trick her. I had tricked myself through right. this. So let's, let's, so let's say you're being a sophist. Yeah. Okay. So Athens had its sophists. So how do you respond to sophists? What I sophist, what I mean is people who, people who spent time to learn all the tricks of the trade of yeah. here's how you cut someone off and debate here's how you counter this here's so, how you so ask questions sophism. you learn how to do it but what i'm saying the only thing that makes it sophistry is that you don't care about what's actually true you care about what you want to conclude or what somebody paid you to yeah, conclude yeah. you don't care about what's actually what true mom and dad concluded. so here's the issue how do we respond to the sophist today's culture just says well my experience and i feel this way and that's how they, that's this what what you what we should do to respond to, respond to the sophistry is what our man Socrates did. And that is you should know how to think well and you should know it. And then in, as you debate them, as, as he did in all of his dialogues, the, the, the third party person listens and says, both of these guys know how to do this stuff. But one of them seems like he cares about the truth. And 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 you don't win on the basis of I'm more skilled at this. You win on the basis of my case is better. Yeah. The merits of the case is better. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk about because um, I'm teaching a class right now on biblical interpretation. And in biblical interpretation, I'm going through kind of the history of it and all the different paths that people took to get to get to where they're at, whether it be the allegory or the Pesher method, uh, all kinds of method throughout church history and throughout Jewish history of understanding the scripture. And so whenever you come down to it, I, I tell people, you know, don't get too discouraged by all this stuff, because at least within the Christian worldview, People have this this destination, and they're they're usually getting to the right places in the essential areas. But they get there in a real weird way sometimes. You know, they have their destination, then they figure out a way to get there, or they they see some type of you know uh, a secret uh, hidden meaning that that nobody can really justify, but it's just there. Now, whenever I talk to them, I say, "Listen, here's the deal: is that 
We've got to figure out a correct path to get to the position we're at whenever we're believing the Bible, whenever we're using the Bible. Now, that's just with the Bible because that's a second step because we're already assuming that the Bible is 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 part of our epistemology or the the part that has the most authority. And so it's it's the same thing. How do you interpret? I mean, you got the Bible and you got hermeneutics. Isn't this kind of like a hermeneutics of reason, hermeneutics of philosophy? How do you get to where you're at in your belief system? What's your pathway? What's your mode of interpretation of the world? And people say, well, I, I just come to it because whatever I feel, all right, you're doing epistemology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I just get to it because um, whatever is right, you're doing epistemology. And in the culture, this matters because take it out of the Christian kind of subculture and apply it to the wider culture. We have the a culture, whiter? the wider culture, oh. <laughs> the whiter, no, the wider culture. Um, today, there are some moral causes people believe in that are good causes everywhere. Yeah. So, like, people are down with racism. Good. Yeah. They should be. People are down with men who would abu- be, you know, be abusive toward women. Yeah. That's great. They should be. To your point, though, when I look at our culture, I see people holding to some moral positions that are good. And I, and I expect that that's partly because they are made in the same image we are, and there's a common moral sense that tells them it's good. But it's, but beyond that, they don't have a good pathway as to why that's wrong. Yeah. They couldn't defend it very well. And as uh, Plantinger, one of those guys who's smarter than us, said one time, uh, I can't remember which one it was, said, it's it's good that you have true beliefs, but your your belief, your true beliefs should be rightly connected to what the truth is hmm. like there should be a relationship between what's true and the fact yeah. you believe it otherwise yeah. i could flip a coin i could say i could say um i'm gonna put up a dartboard with various truth claims and beliefs of all kinds and whatever the dart hits i'll believe that yeah. and occasionally the dart might hit something good like um it's wrong to oppress women <laughs> or something yeah. you know it's bad to be a racist okay good do, do I feel good about you as a moral person because when I find out that that's the way you went about gaining your beliefs? Yeah. No, I do not. Because I think what's what makes me think that the next generation is going to still have those beliefs because the way you hold them is so flawed. Well, think of it. So think about it, Carrie. Remember the movie we saw last night, uh, Joker? Mm-hmm. Uh, no spoilers, part, please. The one part where he's doing the interview and he's talking about jokes. And he says, he says listen, uh, you understand that what is funny is relative. And he uses this word. It's relative. And so what might be funny for one person isn't funny for the next person. And he says, that's what I believe about life. I mean, he says this right out. Yep. And that is definitely, right? We're, we're talking about epistemology uh, at its core whenever, that, whenever something like that transpires. Am yeah, I correct? Absolutely. Relativism and skepticism are are old positions. Yeah, and that's as old as you brought up Socrates earlier. He this stuff has been done and dusted. It's just uh, it just keeps reinventing itself, and that's what we're dealing right now with. The sophists are running the academy, and because they're running the academy, the students have now taken on to it. You know. Well, talk to me about some options. What are the options for epistemologically? Well, when you say options, well, I like mean, there's two primary, right? Yeah, like in there, terms of rationalism and there are some major schools, and and when when you teach this stuff, yeah, these are the big headlines, the umbrellas, which really crop up in the 
during the Enlightenment period, I mean, this is when a bunch of people start writing furiously long treatises about these ideas. Yeah. For the, I mean, probably for the first time, you get you get just libraries of people who are focused on just this, which sounds weird and lame to people, <laughs> probably, but these European thinkers. So, so the overview is like this. So what we, the so-called enlightenment after the scientific stuff and, oh, Copernicus found out that the word and all that stuff happens. And then these, the, you get a class of philosophers in Europe, guys who that's like, you know, that's what they are. So along comes our main man, Descartes, Yeah, you know, yeah. and everyone learns about him in school, Descartes, Today. because he wanted to arrive at truth. He wanted he wanted certainty. Well, because the Catholic Church had kind of been their their epistemology up to this yeah. point, right? I mean, and he's a faithful culture. Catholic boy himself. But but the quest for certainty is sort of the age old quest. How can I how can I know things for sure and know as many of them? In fact, the old, the Holy Grail would be to know everything and yeah. to know it for sure. Well, Descartes though thinks he can sort of do this, and he does it as in a supremely rational way by just thought experimentation that you could do in a closet, things that you don't even have to go out and do any experiments for. Yeah. If you're smart enough and you're thoughtful you got all, enough, you got all the tools. you're introspective enough, you can just sort it out. And he goes through this whole process of thinking. So he plays a skepticism game, you know, and you know, it's his method is the doubting method. A lot of people think Descartes was a real doubter. He really wasn't. He used doubt as his tool. He really did, he wasn't rooting for doubt. He didn't like doubt. That's the whole point is I don't like doubt. Yeah. But he had to use it to sift his beliefs. And well, so the idea is in order yeah. to ever learn or be educated, you have to open yourself up to the possibility right. that you might be wrong. So he opens himself up to that. He's honest enough to, to sort of use doubt like a filter. And he says, I will take every belief I have and I'll run it through the doubt filter. Put it in limbo for a long And I'll while. say, if it can be doubted, I set it in the old the can of dubitability, you yeah. know, this can be doubted. Well, obviously that when you start doing that, you find out that most stuff goes in that can. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, it may be disarming or disheartening to people, but it's just true. Everything can be doubted. The, the numbers of things you can doubt is a lot of things yeah. because, you know, so, and I mean, doubt it. I mean, I don't mean that you do doubt it. I mean, you theoretically you can. Yeah. yeah he gets down to the point where he's like. possibility that it could be wrong. He gets down to stuff that sounds a little silly to people like. Why I could be dreaming right now. Yeah, I could be hallucinating. Someone could have slipped me a Mickey, and now I'm having a like wild hallucination. None of this could be happening. You know what I mean? I could be in the like Matrix. Starting with the idea, a Christian, he says, you know, I'm going to start with the idea that I, the Bible might have errors. Let's go into. It. I'm going to start with the idea that Jesus was not the incarnation of God, uh, and let that be an option. As uncomfortable as it is, that makes me as as distant as that is from my emotional beliefs and my commitment right now. I'm going to set that aside because it is a possibility that I'm wrong. And Descartes says, hey, you know, we've gone through the scientific revolution. We've gone through mathematics. We're, we, why don't we just make sure all of our beliefs in philosophy and religion meet up to the same idea of certainty, indubitability, that 2 plus 2 equals 4 does. And in, the, in these meditations where he writes about going through this process, you know, at the point at which you're doubting even your present experiences, you start to think, this guy may not find anything like he's about to he's about to throw every possible thing in the can. Could like he, he's he, even his own existence. Even his own is is there a bottom to this? But the good news is, in his mind at least he thought, I finally got to something, Eureka. Mm. And Carrie loves a good Latin phrase as well as anybody else. 
So, Kogito. what did he get to? I'm, I think, therefore, I am. I'm not saying the last. Kogito, Kogito ergo sum. There you go. Yeah, and, and people always say, well, what is, how is that so special? It's almost a logical, I don't know, some people think it's a logical trick. It sounds clever in a way. Like he's saying, but I think it is true. But, and by the way, Augustine had said this before. He, this isn't even original. Augustine said this uh, centuries before, which is that I must exist because I'm having thoughts and a non-existent thing has no thoughts. Mm -hmm. so, if you ask, so if I wonder, do I exist? The question is, who shall I say is asking? You know, yeah. um, I, if as long as there's a subject in that sentence, I is something. And by the way, even if I'm just a brain in a vat somewhere, I still exist. Yeah. He felt like that's something he couldn't assail, couldn't doubt. And then, of course, from there he thinks, and this is the, this is the debatable thing, is whether or not Descartes can successfully do this. And since his time, a bunch of people said, no, you really can't. But he thought, can I now just rationally starting with that as my kernel of my foundation can i now go back and construct you know a web of beliefs logically connected to that anchor yeah, yeah. so that now his so own existence is connected to uh, cogito ergo sum yeah. can i now go back and in the end uh, descartes doesn't doubt god he believes in god and in, and he doesn't doubt his existence and he doesn't doubt most of, a lot of the things he threw in that can he now comes back and says i think i can rationally hold them and, that's, and in that sense, his belief is a lot stronger because he knows how he got there. He can justify it. It makes sense to him. Now. And Descartes, by doing this, he sets in motion during this era, the 17th, 18th centuries, he, he kicks into motion a fury of people writing. Because a bunch of people were, well, a bunch of people were, loved him and got on board and became sort of, quote, rationalists themselves. Mm -hmm. So you get like the Leibnizes. Mostly these guys were in Europe. So they'll often say, talk about the continental rationalists over against the guys in Britain and Scotland who took a different approach. They were empiricists. Oh, the empiricists so they'll say sorry. the British empiricists versus the continental rationalists. Because so you, you have the basic guys that say, uh, start at least with this, like you said beforehand, get yeah. in the closet. Uh, I guess he got in a Dutch oven or something. Sat there for yeah. long but you already have the goods. You're born with the goods. Reason isn't something that you have to go figure out, learn about, read right. in a book in order to say, oh, I've now learned reason, and now I can start reasoning. They're it's inherent to you. Yeah, yeah to from you, birth. who you yeah. are as a so person. so Descartes, Leibniz, and in Spinoza, the Jewish thinker, all were sort of considered rationalists. But meanwhile, the response was in, in, in England, where our old friend Locke, the great political philosopher, he also wrote on this. But Locke believed that this was a mistake. He believed that it, that Descartes had started in the wrong place, and that his emphasis that he thought that he thought that he failed to account for something hugely important, and that is experience that you get through the senses, which makes some sense because you know if you think about a baby being born, a baby doesn't come out of the womb thinking logically and having a bunch of facts in the mind in order to start to put them together. A baby's got nothing, so Locke says we're born with a clean slate. A tabla rasa. I, I, told you, I told you the Latin would come out. So he says you're born with the chalkboard empty, the hard drive's got nothing on it. So you can't reason, you got nothing to reason about. So, the, so knowledge be, doesn't begin with logic. It begins with the senses and the experience. So like the, most kids spend the first, what, year of their life doing what? Staring at everything. Sticking their foot in their mouth. Tasting everything. Sticking everything in their mouth and so they're just they're just absorbing 
everything through the senses building their repertoire of mm-hmm. knowledge. It's not till long later that they'll start to that their imagination can imagine things that don't exist. But even the things we imagine are based on things that do exist. So like if you say, well, I can imagine a pink flying elephant. Locke says you wouldn't have been able to if you hadn't experienced an elephant in the color pink and the notion of things yeah. that fly. And I don't disagree with Locke on that. I don't either. Yeah. And and I mean, because if you imagine somebody born, if you can, this, if you can, theoretically, imagine somebody born in a dark room where with no tactile senses, where, they're, where it's odorless. You know what I'm saying, and yeah. they and somehow they're fed intravenously. They never yeah. taste food. But the t- if the person, this would be cruel, and this is theoretical purely. But let's say a person like that got to be eight years old, yeah. And then you turn them loose in the regular. I mean, aside from all the physical issues, but I'm saying, mind-wise, what could, what what possible thoughts could go through their mind? They've learned no language. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's empiricism. Well, empiricism refers that to that. This is different than that. There would be recognition of that's where I would obviously mm-hmm. you know, put that, up that, against Locke. There's mm-hmm. the ability to recognize being in the womb and outside of the womb. You know, there's cognitive abilities that we have. So well, the thing that stands out for me of both of these, at least, I, I think this is in comparison to today. At least they're all trying to get to a destination somehow and justify it, right? They but all the, want to, they're all still asking, what can I know? How, what's what's the most, where does knowledge begin? What's the most sure way to, to, well, you've to got have reason, knowledge? And then you've got, you've you know? got uh, outside world feeding into it. Right. What's the one that just says, it's true because I feel it. That's, that's where I start. That's where Derrida and Foucault. A lot of the postmodernists the started to say it's subjective. Did Nobody Kant have anything to do with this. Kant had a big. I, he, yeah, he's the he's the the godfather. He's a he makes the but now he tries to bridge them a little bit because he he he's from the continent so he's influenced by these rationalists but he really believes that these guys in England have They're a big influence. On he so does, he did Emmanuel try to find, Kant. Yeah, Emmanuel Kant. So this guy Hume who follows in the footsteps. So you got Locke and then comes a good the good bishop Berkeley. Mer- yeah. And Ber- Berkeley basically Berkeley. Is, we say Berkeley Bark, but yeah. it's actually Berkeley. You know, yeah. by the way, the university in uh, California, is yes, it's the same name. But the good bishop though, the Anglican bishop, he was so he took this so far that he basically was the guy. Have you ever heard the thing about if a tree falls in the forest yeah, yeah. that's that's berkeley slash barkley mm-hmm. for you and he says you know what answer? we don't know we can <laughs> never know you can't know for all practical purposes it doesn't but but if god perceives it as falling then well, that was his that was, that his, was his caveat conclusion. is he believes in god yeah but outside of god he says we walk out of this room and no one's in here this room for all practical purposes doesn't exist because the only things that really exist are things that we Perceive because so, so what would this be? You know, we've got let's, let's set these guys up. I, I, I like this the way we're going. We've got Descartes, rationalist, mm-hmm. you've got um Locke, who is the empiricist, mm-hmm. who likes to, and in his get footsteps comes Berkeley and David and Hume. Hume. Okay, so they're so, in his uh, footsteps, but, but Hume seems to be you know, he seems to be a distant part far away from this, and he, he's he's very influential in the sense that he he. Looks at the methods and he sees flaws, right? But Hume isn't. A, Hume is a radical empiricist. He's he's an empiricist all the way. He just goes a little further in some realms. He's willing to doubt just about everything. Yeah, on which, empiricist which, grounds. Which does what to it though? In the end, well, it, it leads to postmodernism. It, it yeah. leads somewhat <laughs> to skepticism because. Um, well, isn't this what we're talking about earlier with the uh, people just saying, "Hey, you could go wrong," therefore. You have gone right. wrong, or therefore. So, so along comes Immanuel Kant. So what he tr- what he tries to do is 
in some ways see the truth in both of them. Wait, before him, describe describe more for me because I, I do want you mm -hmm. to describe more. Um, um, Hume. Yeah, Hume. Okay, so because so, I always see everybody right. writing, and it's uh, against Hume. It's as if as it. As if we're still having conversations with this. Yeah, guy. because Hume wrote some things that were considered very controversial. Berkeley wrote Berkeley wrote things that were controversial, and some people didn't like it because he's it's like, come on, man. It's, but it's strange stuff. But because he comes back around to having God, it's sort of like, okay, he's a bishop. Right. We, but Hume was not a bishop, and Hume never did come around and say, yeah, but God. So. And and after his death was published, stuff that Hume wrote that really irritated people, like. Can you, for example, one of the big ones is the design of things, you know, the design of things, the design argument, you know, for God yeah, and yeah. so on. Uh, we look around the world, we see design, but Hume, Hume sort of came against that. He said, well, look, and, and, and this is what modern atheists like to use. They pick up on him and they say, yeah, well, so the world looks designed, but empirically speaking, did you see it designed? No. Have you ever seen a world designed before? No. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like we, we don't have any... This this is this is the most radical version of what a scientist would be about. But there's only one problem if you're a scientist. Hume's skepticism cuts against the scientific method, also. Right. He, because he goes wild on the problem of um, the problem of induction. You know? Yeah, sure. Every swan you've seen is white. You haven't seen them all. Yeah. The next one could be black. So science can't be certain of anything either. Yeah. You know, it's just one more, one more, one more. Well, then, Hume doubted are, that you even exist. Up, aren't we set up right now by Descartes for setting this this indubitability, this this bar so high, and then all of a sudden, whenever you can't make the bar, and everybody's going, yeah, but you can't make the bar, all of a sudden, everybody just kind of gets deflated. And it's like, yeah. oh. By the way, even really Hume realized anything. how nuts he was, because there's a great line where Hume says, you know, I sit down and I get into this and I write all this stuff, and then I go and I breathe a little free air and I clear my mind and I play a little backgammon. And then I come back to my study and I see what I was writing and it looks crazy to me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, he's a re so, so apparently he was a likable guy, but, but anyway, so what this ends up breeding on both sides is some skepticism because well, the rationalist reads Descartes and goes, yeah, yeah, I see the skepticism and the doubt, even though he didn't end with that. And then they look at Hume and they see, I, now I see the skepticism because of empiricism, because both men gave me reason to possibly doubt that I exist in some ways. Hume doubted. Hume said, you may not even have a true self. So next we need to move to Kant. Yeah. Because he's a big figure, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Theology 